Well, this morning we're going to take a look, as I said before, at the verses uh, 10 through 21. And we're going to see, as I said before, two types of hardening. That's kind of interesting. The word hardened is, is not used in regard to the Pharisees, although it is used in regard uh, to the disciples. And this is somewhat surprising. Uh, we would think that whenever the word hardening is being used, it would be used primarily of those who had a settled opposition against the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was the religious leaders, the Pharisees. The disciples obviously had no settled opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ. They had no opposition to him at all. But what they were afflicted with was this spiritual dullness or this spiritual slowness or this inability to perceive and take up and live according to all that Christ had taught them by way of precept and what he, and what he had uh, uh, formerly taught or by way of example and what he did. And so what I want to do today is I want to, I want to develop uh, this, uh, uh, this theme from this passage of Scripture. Now, the passage of Scripture and its context will, will drive us today, if I can say it that way. I'm not going to just lift the, uh, the, the, the concept of the doctrine of uh, the hardened heart uh, out of the passage. We're going to deal with the passage. Many things uh, are very uh, instructive to us in this passage of Scripture. And what we're going to do is we're just going to follow a basic two-point outline. We're going to see, uh, number one, the, uh, the hardness of heart uh, in the religious leaders by way of their refusal to believe the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're going to come with questions, but these questions are not the type of questions that a sincere heart would ask when they're seeking for uh, a saving information. We're going to see rather that these questions were just designed to trap the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, just designed to, to trip him up, just designed to, to, set him, uh, to, uh, to, to set him off guard, as it were. But of course, our Lord Jesus Christ is, is up to the task, we might say. But the second uh, point in our outline will be this. We're going to see the hardness of heart in those who have a sense of spiritual dullness or an inability to embrace in fullness the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we'll develop this and we're going to see that this is something that even the people of God must be warned against. The people of God, you see. And this warning that our Lord Jesus Christ is going to give to, to the disciples, which is a warning which comes to you and me, is a warning that you and I may, might make sure that we take up again with all eagerness and with all fullness everything that Christ is teaching us. And so we'll work through the passage of Scripture along those lines. Well, here we are again in this eighth chapter. You remember the last time we were together here last week, we took a look at the great miracle of the feeding of the 4,000. It was, a, it was a great example of our Lord's compassion, you remember, toward the Gentiles. And this was something that was very encouraging to see. Our Lord Jesus Christ was expressing this great compassion toward the Gentiles. And as I was thinking this past week about the compassion that our Lord Jesus Christ showed to the Gentiles in the feeding of the 4,000, I was a little upset with myself because I forgot to tell you the greatest act of compassion that the Lord Jesus Christ had for Gentiles was that he died on the cross for them. In other words, my brothers and sisters, he died on the cross for you and me. What a great act of compassion this was on the part of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's, a, there's an ongoing act of compassion as well. We might say ongoing acts of compassion that our Lord still shows to us. And that's right now at the Father's right hand. He's praying for you and me. And so this great compassionate Christ came forth on the page of Scripture, we might say, feeding the 4,000 in order to show to his disciples that the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. That's to you and me. And so again, we saw last week, Christ is the great and compassionate Savior. Well, this week, what we're going to see here, as I said before, Christ uh, dealing with these hardened hearts. 
Well, let's take a look then at the passage of Scripture as we deal with it. And the first thing I want to present to you here is, as I said before, the hardness of heart that we see in the, in the, uh, in the religious leaders by way of their refusal to believe. And let's take a look here at verses, uh, at verses uh, 10 uh, and uh, verses 10 through 13. And notice again what we have here. And straightway he entered into a ship, in, into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmathua. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why does this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given to this generation. And he left them, entering into the ship. Now I want you to see, I want you to see the primary thing uh, by way of the uh, approach of the Pharisees to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I want you to see three responses that our Lord gives. And the first thing we see here is the coming out of the Pharisees to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's interesting here is that the language that Mark uses here suggests to us that this was not kind of an inadvertent meeting that the, that the Pharisees had with the Lord Jesus Christ, but rather that this was something of a formal meeting. This was something that was designed on the part of the Pharisees. And what we see happening here is that they were coming once again to examine him, to challenge him, to make some kind of conclusion concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, concerning this one Jesus of Nazareth. And as I said before, it's not just something that they happened to stumble across the Lord Jesus. This was something that they set out to do. And what they set out to do was what we've seen them do all the way through. It is an attempt on their part to diminish or kind of to discourage any type of belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is this idea that Christ must be, again, uh, kind of a, a set low in the eyes of people. Christ must not have this kind of appeal to the, to the people at large, but he must be uh, demeaned in their presence. And so the questions are coming out in order, as I said before, to diminish uh, the, uh, the esteem of Christ in the presence uh, or in the, in the opinion or in the thought uh, of those who he is preaching to. And I think we talked about this before. And I said that this is something that we still engage even in our day. That there are people, that there are institutions, that there are circumstances or things that will attempt to diminish the esteem that you have for the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these things we have to be careful of. These things, again, we have to be on guard. And the reason why is because there is always a challenge of undermining your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes your friends will try to undermine uh, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes your circumstances will come crashing in on you and cause you to somehow doubt or somehow to waver in the commitment that you've made to the Lord Jesus Christ. Sadly, sometimes, even within your own thinking, there will be things that will be detrimental to your faith and that you must guard against. There is always an attempt, I'm telling you, by way of the world, the flesh, and the devil, to shake you off of your faith in Christ. Well, this is what these Pharisees were doing here. This was, we might say, this was their religious task. This was their religious duty. And there they were, coming out to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. But we see something else here. We see it here in, in verse 11. Notice this again. And they began to question with him, uh, seeking of him a sign from heaven. They began to question him, seeking a sign from heaven. Now, what's interesting here is that the word for question uh, is a word that, uh, as I said before, it doesn't mean to ask a question in order to find helpful information. 
It's that kind of questioning that goes on when what you're really trying to do is to break down or to, or as I said before, or to, 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 to kind of uh, diminish uh, somebody's uh, reputation or esteem. We see this in our day. We see individuals who don't so much ask questions, but they berate with questions. They don't so much ask questions to find something out. They ask questions in order to tear down. And that's what the Pharisees are doing here. These are not honest and sincere questions that are being asked. And what they're asking for is very interesting here. And we, we, I think we have a tendency sometimes to read past this or to just, just assume we know what's being said here. But what we have here is this. Again, in verse 11, they began to question him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. Seeking a sign from heaven, tempting him. Now, this is why we know that the questions are insincere. They're insincere because of the format that's being used. It's not a question where a disciple would be asking uh, his teacher, what should I do? It's a question of somebody who is examining, as I said before, you, you get the point. And so, so this question, but we also see here that the question is tempting. And the, in the word temptation, what we mean here isn't so much a, a solicitation to evil, but it's rather a, a temptation or a test for some kind of proof. And what these Pharisees want is they want some kind of sign that would validate the miracles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes we think that the request for a sign is a request for a miracle. Well, interestingly, here, interestingly enough, in this passage of Scripture, that's really not what's happening. Actually, what they are asking for is a sign to validate the miracles. The miracles have been abundant. And in, in the 8th chapter, the feeding of the 4,000, that was the 14th miracle recorded in the Gospel of Mark. And so the miracles were plenty. What they are asking for is a sign. You notice how the text says a sign from heaven. They're asking for a sign that would validate that the miracle, that the miraculous was a miraculous or a miracle that was done from God or in the power of God. In other words, they were recognizing that, look, just because a supernatural phenomena took place, that doesn't necessarily mean that it came from God. It's kind of an interesting thing that we're seeing here. They're asking from this sign from heaven. And what's interesting is that when we look in the past and when we look in the scripture, in the gospel accounts, even up to this point here, even when we don't uh, look at the entire uh, life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, even when we just look up to this point in the gospel of Mark, what I would say to you is this, is there have been plenty things that have signified that the miracles that our Lord Jesus Christ has done have truly been, again, heaven-sent miracles or miracles that he did by way of his own inherent power. And so there are plenty of reasons to believe let me give you some examples of this by way of our, our Lord's uh, uh, having given uh, plenty of signs. You might remember in, uh, in uh, John chapter 3, verse 2, very early in our Lord's ministry, Nicodemus, that, that great teacher of Israel, comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you remember what he says? He says, Master, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles except God be with him. See, that's what they were asking for. They wanted a sign that would show that the miracle was a miracle that was done with the approval of God or, with the, or in the power of God. And that becomes the very thing. That's why they said earlier in Mark chapter 3, you remember, this man doeth miracles by Beelzebub. And so, and so there's a sense in which they said, a miracle, okay, fair enough. But what's the, what's the power behind the miracle? 
And this again, we're going to see our Lord, he responds to this in a particular way uh, that is right and just, but we'll get to that here in a minute. Another passage of scripture I want you to look at, and we've mentioned this passage of scripture a couple times, but I'm going to ask you to turn there in your Bibles. Uh, take, uh, uh, take your Bibles and go to uh, the Gospel of John, uh, the ninth chapter. And again, you've heard me say how many times I just really enjoy, uh, I, there's just, I, I just love this passage of scripture uh, because it's so, if I can say it this way, it just, it just, it just seems like something most of us would say when we, if we were in this situation. You know, we don't know much, but we know that we were once blind and now we can see. I, I have to admit, like I said, I, I love the passage of Scripture. But in John chapter 9, I want you to, I want you to follow the, uh, the dialogue that this, that this once blind man has with the religious leaders. John uh, chapter 9, and we're going to look... Here at verses uh, 24 uh, through 34. I'll just give you a minute to get there. John chapter 9, verses, 30, uh, verses 24 through 34. And I think you, most of you know the, uh, uh, the, the accounts here. Uh, here was this man, again, that was, uh, that was blind. And uh, he, he meets the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord Jesus Christ seeks him out. And what happens? Uh, he, he gives him sight. This is, this is phenomenal. This is amazing. Again, this is one of these miracles that have inherent in it a sign that it's from God. This was a miracle that, was only, that only the Messiah could do. This was a miracle that, was, that the Messiah was expected to do. And so in the, very, in the very miracle itself, there was a sign from heaven. But listen to the dialogue here. Verse 24 of John 9. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. Now notice what they say. We know that this man is a sinner. See, this is the whole thing. It wasn't, it wasn't the issue that a miracle was done. The issue is, what was the power through which the miracle was accomplished? And they're willing to grant, okay, miracle, no, so what? We want to know where it came from. And, and again, you see the bias already that they have for the Lord Jesus Christ. They've already made up their mind concerning the Lord. This is, and again, this is the reality of that fatal hardness of heart. Nothing is able to break this hardness, this hardened heart here. But we go on, verse 25. And he answered, this is the blind man speaking. And this, I have to admit, I love this. This is the blind man speaking. He answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that whereas I was blind, now I see. And they said to him again, what did he, what did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye, wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? And they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciples, but we are Moses' disciples. And we know, that, we know that God spake unto Moses, As for this fellow, we, not know, we know not whence where he is. So again, the idea is, they, this is why they're asking for this sign. Verse 30, The man answered and said unto them, Why well, herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. And this is a miracle that only Messiah could do. You see, verse 31 now. And now we, and, and again, here's the blind man. And again, it's interesting if we were preaching through this passage of Scripture from the Gospel of John, what's happening here? John is showing how that the blind truly see and those who think they see are as blind as anything. It's this whole idea of the wonder of, of, the, of the grace of God working. Verse 39. Now we know that God heareth not sinners. See, there's the sign now. We know it that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. And this is the point. Here's the sign. Look at verse 32. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. 
And they answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. You see, this is what you're seeing. This is what, the, this is what they're asking for. They're asking for this sign. Well, the sign was already given. And that kind of leads us to what our Lord is going to say by way of his response. And his response is an amazing response as we come back to Mark now. Let's go back to Mark, the eighth chapter. And as we come back to Mark, the eighth chapter, what do we see here? We begin to see three responses of our Lord Jesus Christ to this fatal hardness of heart, to this refusal to see and believe all that God is manifesting in and through the person of Christ. Can I make an application here? Have you seen all that God is doing for you in the person of Jesus Christ? His death on the cross for you, his answering of prayers on your behalf. Do you see the sufficient reasons there is to believe in this one who extends his arms to you? And so we go on here in the, in the response of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what we have here. We have a threefold response. First of all, we see something of his grief in the side. Secondly, we see an absolute refusal to show any sign. And thirdly, we see his departure. Let's take a look at each one of these. The first thing I want you to see here in verse 12 is, again, and he sighed deeply in his spirit. He sighed deeply in his spirit. This word for sigh here is a, is, is a word that occurs only once in the New Testament. Matter of fact, it's a very rare word even in, even in Greek literature. It only occurs 30 times in all of Greek literature. And this word has that whole sense of very, very deeply from the depth of his being, from the depth of his humanity, truly grieving and truly, uh, again, just, uh, 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 let, let me get my, uh, my definition here. Uh, it's, it's grief mixed with indignation. And what you're seeing here is this, this coming together of these emotions in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, he's grieved over the hardness of heart, and yet there's, a, there's an element of indignation here. How could they not believe? How can they not move from a place where, where, where they're asking this question to know that this is the very, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the very one who was promised of the scriptures? And so again, this, this, this response of our Lord Jesus Christ, this deep sigh, again, the word, as I said before, is very, very rare. And what this shows to us, again, we have to say it's, uh, it's this idea of, of grief, of, of indignation, and even something of dismay. Here was our Lord manifesting himself over and over again, making himself known by way of his teaching, by way of his miraculous power, over and over again. And this refusal, this obstinate refusal on the part of the religious leaders. And this brings our Lord to this deep sigh. Dismay, grief, and indignation. Does the Lord see that or respond in that way today? Grief, dismay, and indignation. We're going to see as we go on how that our Lord Jesus Christ, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to see how the Lord Jesus Christ expects of us growth and development in the Christian life. He expects of us this, 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 this living out of the life of the Christian, this living out of the Christian life that he is pouring, that he is pouring within us. We'll get to that here shortly, but, but again, this, this indignation, this, this dismay on the, part of our, on, part of our Lord, on the part of our Lord Jesus Christ. The other thing that we see here is not only this dismay, not only this grief. I have to spend a little time here. This grief... He's grieving even over these religious Pharisees that have hardened their heart. 
Can, can I say it like this? I say it with a little bit of caution, but can I say it like this? That no sinner goes to hell apart from the grief of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is not to overlook uh, the, 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 those grand doctrines of, of election and God's decree and God's forward nation. We know all these things. We embrace all these things. But here is our Lord. Again, the word truly, it just doesn't mean indignation. And we would think it would mean that. There's a sense of grief in this word. And when our Lord is sighing deeply here over the hardness of these, of the hearts of these religious leaders, a hardened hearts always again is, 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 a sad, is a sad reality. And I think that this should affect us when we encounter individuals who absolutely flat out refuse to believe. Who not only refuse to believe, but who also take a hostile stance toward Christ. It's a grief when that happens. These individuals don't know what they're doing to their soul. And so here is the Lord Jesus Christ grieving for these ones who would destroy him. And see something of your Savior in that. So we see the deep grief. The second thing I want you to see here is his, is his absolute refusal to give a sign. This is amazing. Notice what we have here again in verse, in, uh, in verse uh, 12. Why does this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. The language here probably is not fully conveyed, certainly at least not in the King James. And I didn't, I'm not sure what some of the translations you may be using, whether or not it conveys it uh, uh, truly enough. But the, but the language here needs to be understood something along these lines. If a sign be given to them, may God's judgment fall on me. That's how absolutely determined Jesus is that they are not going to get a sign. Plenty of proof and evidence had been given. And the only thing that they would see now would be his resurrection. But there was a determined effort on the part of the Lord Jesus Christ that they had sufficient light to believe. But now they had rejected that belief and no sign would be given. There's a parallel passage to this in, in, uh, in the Old Testament. Take your Bible just very quickly and go to, uh, and go to Psalm uh, 95. And here we have uh, uh, God the Father uh, speaking here. And, it's in, and it has to do with Israel's, uh, with Israel's rebellion. And we have something of the same, something of the same kind of, uh, something of the same kind of uh, sense of the uh, of the uh, uh, of the attitude of uh, of God's heart. If I can again say it that way. But here in Psalm ninety-five verses ten and eleven, Psalm ninety-five verses ten and eleven, and you know this, you know this passage. But this, and what I want you to see is that this passage is conveying. On the part of God Almighty in the, in, in, in the book of Psalms, the very attitude we see in the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ here. Notice Psalm 95, verses 10 and 11. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said it is a people that do err in their heart and they have not known my ways. And here is that attitude. Unto whom I swore in my wrath that they should not enter into my wrath. There is again this absolute determination that they would not enter in because of their unbelief. And what our Lord Jesus Christ is saying is it's the same type of mindset and attitude. There shall not be a sign shown to this generation. Why? Because they refused the light that was there. Brothers and sisters, friends, please, please, please understand. The light of the word of God is not to be trifled with. The light of the word of God is not to be treated lightly. It's not to be ignored. It's not to be played with. You do, you do great, you do potential fatal harm to your soul. 
And so again, our Lord Jesus Christ speaking and warning here. Again, we see his responses by way of the, the depth of, his, of the grief for those who would not respond. The, 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 the determination that a, another sign would not be given. And then the third response we have is this in verse 13. And he left them and entering into the ship, he departed under the other side. He left them. Now what's interesting here about this passage of scripture, he left them is the fact that not only does, does this mean that he is left by way of a geographical location, but it's even more than that. You see, this is something of a turning point in the public ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ in regard to the religious leaders. There is something of a finality here. There is something of a turning of our Lord Jesus Christ from these hard-hearted sinners. You see, and what we're seeing here, if I can say it this way again, what we are seeing here is we are seeing the effects of a hardened heart. I've spoken much about a hardened heart, but what is a hardened heart? What is a hardened heart? I hate to say this. Uh, that hardened heart, in, in one sense, we can define it as this. It's a settled rejection and resistance to God and all that concerns Him. It's a settled rejection and resistance to God and all that concerns him. Now, there are variations of hardened hearts. And this might surprise you that, to, for me to say this, but I want you to know and understand that all of us by nature have hearts that are hard or calloused or indifferent to the things of God. Now, that natural hardness, if I can say it that way, doesn't necessarily have to be a final or fatal hardness. And the wonder and the glory of the gospel uh, brings, again, the hammer of the word to break up the hardened heart. It brings out the tenderness of the, of the word of God to melt uh, the, the, the heart that's like ice. And the word of God is able to do this. The ministry of the Spirit is able to accomplish this. And so, again, what, what we have by way of nature is not necessarily fatal so long as we respond to the gospel message itself. And so that's the first variation, I might say, of, of hardness of heart. It's a, it's a natural hardness. And we see this in, in passages like Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 1, where, where it's said that we're all born dead in trespasses and sins. Another passage, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 7, uh, the natural man is enmity against God. There is, this, there is this innate hostility. You might not think this, but there is this innate hostility in your soul against God. It's there by nature. And people get offended at this. But again, this is, this is what we see over and over again in the scripture. And we see it even in experience as well, if we're honest with ourselves. And we also see this in another passage of scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, where the apostle says that the, the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God because they're spiritually discerned. And so again, by way of nature, there's something of a hardness of heart. Again, not like we see here in the case of the Pharisees. It hasn't developed into that. It can still be broken up by grace. Can I make another appeal to you and another plea to you? Will you, will you allow the grace of God to, to break your hard heart? Will you not sit here again with this idea that I'm sitting under the word of God and, oh, by the way, hope nobody's looking, but let me yawn right now. Oh, by the way, something else to be thinking of. Look, I'm saying to you, my brothers and sisters, these things are, these things are, 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 are these, eternity hinges on these things. So this natural hardness, it's not necessarily a fatal hardness. There's hope for each and every one under the preaching of the gospel. 
the promises of God go to you? And you might say, well, how can the promise of God come to me? I'm this or I'm that. Well, didn't you see the Lord Jesus Christ feeding the 4,000? Remember, they were Gentiles. You remember what the, you know what the, what the, what, 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 uh, the, the mindset of the, uh, of the Jewish nation toward the, toward the Gentiles were, uh, were? You talk about the other side of the tracks. They, they, they were outcast. And they were looked down upon. And they were everything that you want to say. And it's a very good picture of you and me. And yet Jesus Christ is there dying for sinners, showing compassion on them. Us, he shows compassion on. And so again, this, this, this heart and heart by nature is not something that we have to die with. We can die with a, we, we can, we, we, we can die again with a, with a heart that's made right by God. Every one of us were born sinners into this world. But every one of us can leave saints. Every one of us can leave as Christians. Every one of us can leave as far as the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us can leave this world in union with Jesus Christ. I was reading, I forget who I was reading and where I was coming across this, but I was in preparation for this. And one writer was just talking about how that the, 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 the uh, I forget exactly the way he put it, but it was something like the undying love of God. You think death is going to separate you from the love of God? You know what Paul says about that. That's not going to happen. Even on, a, even on a human level, when our loved ones die, we still love them, don't we? Well, brothers and sisters, when you die, you think God is going to let you stay in the grave? You think God is going to let your soul stay separated from That's not going to happen. In love, God is going to keep you to himself. How, friends, please, a hard heart toward that? A refusal to hear that? And so there's that natural hardness of heart. There's also what we might call um, a voluntary hardness of heart. And this is a hardening that takes place by, by way of willful choice. This is that hardening that takes place when, you know, uh, I know what God says, but I know what I want. I know what God wants me to do, but, you know, I got to take care of me. I gotta do my own. I gotta do. I gotta do what I need to. Do. Hey, look, and then this refusal. And what's amazing to see is that this this willful hardness of heart sometimes takes place within the boundaries of religion, so that it isn't just some self centered, low class kind of uh, gutter kind of sin that keeps me uh, that hardens my heart. That'll do it too. But it's this highly refined religious uh, kind of thinking that sets one in opposition to Jesus Christ and to the things of the gospel. You see, this willful kind of hardening of heart. Oh, you see, this is a very serious thing. And that's why, again, the Lord cries out over and over again in the Scripture, I think at least three times, today, if you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. And that, 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 word, is, that word is fresh today. It's not, a, it's not, just, a, it's not just something in the, in the history books. Today, if you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. And so again, there's that, there's that natural uh, uh, hardening. There's that, there's that voluntary hardening. And then there is what we might call that imperceptible hardening. Now this imperceptible hardening is the hardening uh, that takes place in the, in, 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 the, in, in the disciples and the apostles. It's imperceptible to them. They really don't see it. They, they, don't, they don't notice. They, there's, there's not been a, there's not been a, a, a settled, a, a, a settled a turn in their mind where the things of God are just done with. That hasn't happened. 
But the imperceptible hardness, again, is a very serious thing. Our Lord strictly warns against it. Beware and take heed, he says. And this, excuse me, in this imperceptible hardness, in the Gospel of Mark, I think three, maybe four times, hardness is applied to the followers of Christ. It, it, it almost amazes us. But what we have to do is we have to learn to distinguish here. Because it's not a settled opposition, an obstinate refusal, uh, a, a, a definite uh, stiff arm, and, uh, and doing everything to, to keep the, uh, the, 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 the witness of the Spirit of God or of the conscience silent. It's not that. It's just this failure to really live up to and embrace everything that we know to be true about Christ in the Word of God. Everything that we know that God is doing for us in this world. In other words, this imperceptible hardness is a great enemy to the believer living by faith in this world. And that's what you're called to live by. You and I were called to live in light of the Word of God. We're not called again to be shackled by the, by the restraints of mere humanity, we're called to live up to the very promises of God as given in the scripture. And every time we, when we fail to do that, it may not be, again, this, this, this settled opposition, but it's a failure to take up the word of God and to live in accordance with it. It's not my, it's not my designating of that as being hardness. It's the designation of the scripture. Did you see in that passage, I think it's in, in verse... Um, I think it's in, in verse uh, 15, or uh, I'm sorry, verse 17. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Their failure to, to understand the words of Christ, and I'm not going to get a chance to develop uh, the second part of the sermon. Maybe we'll do it tonight or maybe next week. Um, I'm not going to get a chance to do that, but I just want to kind of touch on it a little bit. I want you to see and I want you to understand that their inability to understand what Jesus is saying in that moment constituted something of hardness. He says to them about the bread. He, they, they think he's talking about physical bread. And he's like, you know, please, physical bread. Did you have enough of that in these last, you know, two miracles? There was bread in abundance. I'm not talking about physical bread here. I'm talking about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of the Herodians. Leaven, well, again, I'm... I'm, 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 I'm I'm up against the clock here and I'm thinking how long I should go because we have a whole second part of this uh, sermon to go. So uh, uh, bear with me. Let, me. let me just try to work all this uh, here together. So we see this idea, this, what, I'm, what I'm calling this imperceptible hardness of heart. And I want to warn you and myself against this imperceptible hardness of heart. And the easiest way to understand the imperceptible hardness of heart is that when you and I fail to live up to what we know to be true about Christ, when you and I fail to live up to what we know the scriptures are promising us. And you see, what we are being called to here, once again, is an active, living, vital, dynamic Christian faith. It's not a faith that just rests back on, on the fact that, yeah, back in the day I did such and such a thing. It's a faith that we are called to live by moment by moment. And all of your challenges, and all of your trials, and all of your decision-making processes. Again, it's bringing the bear. What you know to be true about God. And let me ask you, what do you know to be true about God today? What do you know to be true about the Lord Jesus Christ? Silence. I hope not. I hope something's going on in your heads right now, what you know to be true about Christ. And brothers and sisters, live up to it. 
And then the last thing that we see here in this passage of Scripture, as I said before, verse 13, and he left them and entering into the ship, he departed unto the other side. You see, there came a time here where our Lord said enough was enough. No more sign. It's time to move on. Friends, please, those things still happen today. You understand? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm convinced. So long as there's breath in the lungs, there's hope for the soul. I believe that. But have you ever met an individual whose heart is so hardened by way of willful rejection of the things of God? Who know the Bible better than you? Who turn your appeal that they might believe into an appeal that you don't believe? It's fatal. May God save every one of us from that. Well, my friends, I'm I'm 40 minutes in. I don't know where to I don't know whether we should stop here. There's an entire second half of the sermon that has to be preached. Maybe we'll do it tonight or maybe we'll do it tomorrow uh, next week. Um, how do I close out this sermon then? Look, let me say it this way. In the mind of your blessed Savior, he has given sufficient reason to believe in the vo- from the voice of this preacher Will you believe the Lord Jesus Christ today for salvation and for life? You've got a life to live. Live it in the fullness of faith of this one who loved you and gave himself for you. Heavenly Father, give us grace, we pray. Keep us from, remove, break the natural hardness of our hearts. Certainly, Father, keep us from the willful hardening But Father, also give us enough of a sense of spiritual sensitivity that we would be kept even, that there would be no such thing as imperceptible hardness in our hearts, that we would always walk honestly before you, that we would always allow your spirit to be evaluating our soul, that we would always prioritize your word as a witness either for us or against us. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, do this and keep us, we pray, from the plague of of a hardened heart, either that fatally hardened heart or the imperceptible advance of hardness in the heart. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.